0: Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM residency program. I'm Anand Swami Nathan.
1: And I'm Jenny Beckesme. So Swami, springtime, getting close. What do
0: you think? Oh, I can't wait for it. It has been way too cold. I mean, it hasn't been that cold. It's it, just yeah. these like little patches of sub zero temperature, and I'm um I'm not ready for that.
1: Yeah, I have to acknowledge, even as a Minnesotan, that there have been a few days here where it has been, you know, unpleasantly chill.
0: Yeah, I've been getting used to global warming. And (laughs) while I'm not a fan of global warming, it's really nice when you have a relatively mild winter.
1: Yeah, that does help. The, um, you, you know, 90 bajillion degree summers I could do without.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking of the bajillion-degree summers, this means that since we transition to a new season, we're also going to transition to a new pattern of illness and disease. And so we're going to be seeing some new stuff. As it warms up, we'll see more stab wounds. We'll see more gunshots and all that good, fun stuff. But that's not what we're going to talk about today.
1: No, no. We are going to talk about something a little smaller scale, but equally important.
0: Not such this, a sexy thing at all.
1: Uh, Less, less sexy. Less, less sexy, sexy than a stab sure, wound sure. Yeah, yeah. But important. This week, we had a great lecture on dental emergencies from one of our attending physicians, Sarah Batistic. Dental complaints are true core content, which we're all about. So I thought we could talk about that.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great topic to cover because there's not a lot of foam out there, so it's perfect for us to discuss. So we see a lot of different types of dental complaints in the ED, ranging from infections to trauma. I think the most common thing we see are dental cavities. Patients usually present complaining of uh, pain of a single tooth, and when you look at the tooth, you may see some discoloration in the enamel, or the tooth may be tender to percussion. Treatment here is gonna be pain control, and for this, I'm really a big fan of nerve blocks. I don't find that any of the systemic medications actually take care of of dental pain. It's really the nerve block where you can have a huge benefit for the patient.
1: I agree. I love dental nerve blocks. And here it's going to be great if you can use bupivacaine because it's going to be longer lasting and hopefully it'll provide relief all the way until the patient is able to see the dentist, usually the next day. So there's a lot of options for these dental blocks, but for the single painful incisor, canine, or premolar, a super periosteal or sometimes called an apical nerve block works great. So for this, you inject one to two milliliters of your local anesthetic at the mucobuccal fold or basically just above or just below the offending tooth in that little fold there. Your patient is going to go from like the stressed out pained look in their face to a relieved face in just like minutes and you're going to feel amazing about yourself. There are other fancier nerve blocks that you can check out, like the inferior alveolar block and the infraorbital nerve block that are also great. And these can kind of block an entire region of the mouth, but they require a little bit more skill than the basic superperiosteal periosteal block. There's a couple of great links that we found and we put those resources for you in the show notes.
0: Yeah. Those other nerve blocks, they are a little more complicated. They're really good when you're not sure exactly which tooth is affected. And sometimes patients are, uh, it's a little bit more difficult to tell that. And so a regional block is going to be great. And the link in the show notes I think is really particularly good is one from the Taming of the Shrew, S R U, not spelled the typical way that we spell the word shrew, but that is a, a great resource that has all of the blocks kind of laid out. And I actually think they practice blocks on the residents, which is a great way to use your residents so you get to see some actual blocks taking place. Now, a step up from the dental caries are the dental alveolar abscesses. Here again, the patient's going to present with pain, but on your exam, you're going to notice a fluctuant Area adjacent to the affected tooth. As with any other abscess, the treatments can include I and D. This can usually be done in the ED with a simple stab incision. But to sort of complete the process, you actually wanna get down and scrape the periosteum. And that sounds painful, and I'm sure it is painful, and that's why, again, nerve block is gonna be really critical here. You're not gonna get enough systemic analgesia to make this work unless you're gonna put them into a procedural sedation. Now, if you do that periosteal scraping, that's sort of definitive management. If you just do a simple IND, you're gonna wanna get them either to an oral surgeon or a dentist within the next 24 to 36 hours. You're gonna discharge them home on antibiotics regardless. Regardless of whether you do the full scrape or just the simple IND. The usual regimen here is amoxicillin clavulanic acid, 875 milligrams BID, or clindamycin in your pen allergic patients, 450 milligrams TID, both for a 10-day course.
1: So we start to get really concerned about dental infec- infections when we think that there is spread to the fascial planes of the head and neck that are leading to a deeper space infection. Here, the patient will usually have some outward evidence of swelling of the face or neck. They may have sublingual tenderness or fluctuance, or the concerning symptom of trismus, which is the inability to open the mouth all the way due to spasm of the masseter muscles. Infections can track down from the mandibular teeth into the neck, and this could even lead to a potential airway obstruction, or they can track upward from the maxillary teeth into the maxillary sinus and have been associated with cavernous sinus thrombosis. Yikes. The key thing is if you suspect a deep space infection, you need to get the imaging. Generally here, we get a contrast scan of the face and neck. These will definitely require admission, IV antibiotics, usually either ampicillin, sulbactam, or a combination of PENG and metronidazole. And then they're probably going to need surgical drainage of the infection.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's anything that presents with trismus that's good. All right, so let's move on from infection to dental trauma. Now, it's important when you have anyone with facial trauma to go through a full dental exam. You want to touch and wiggle each tooth to assess for mobility. In addition to that, you got to make sure that all of the teeth are accounted for. Now, some of your patients are going to present, and they're not going to have all their teeth at baseline. If they have all their teeth when they started, you got to make sure that you account for any missing tooth. Did it go in the airway? Did it get swallowed? An x-ray can be very helpful here. So let's move back to the teeth themselves. When you're looking at the teeth, look for any blood in the gingival crevice, and that could indicate a deeper trauma. Ask the patient to bite down to assess for malocclusion, and then of course you can use the tongue blade test looking for a mandibular fracture.
1: The tongue blade test, Swami. I know you love this tongue blade test. I love
0: the tongue blade test. It is (laughs) one of my favorite bedside tests because it can take you from needing a CT scan to not needing a CT scan. And that's always nice to be able to do in just a couple of seconds. Now we have a short procedure video up on the Core site. We'll drop a link to that in the show notes where you can see this whole process. But basically what you do is you grab a tongue depressor, you have them bite down, and you crack it along sort of the horizontal axis. If they can keep their teeth bitten down while you're doing that process, it's very unlikely they have a mandibular fracture. And I know we've talked about this before, but the one exception here is the things like distracting injuries and more importantly, intoxication. And I have had a patient who was intoxicated, broke the tongue depressor on both sides, and still had bilateral mandibular fractures. So don't get fooled by the drunk patient.
1: Yeah, I think with the drunk patients, a lot of our clinical exam maneuvers kind of go out the window because they just can't really participate very well with you.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So dental trauma itself breaks down into a few categories. There's subluxation, luxation, avulsion, and fractures. The first of these, subluxation, is very simple. A subluxation is when the tooth is mobile within the socket. This is where you might see a little ring of blood in the gingival crevice. If the tooth is just a little mobile, there really isn't much to do. Tell the patient to stick to a soft diet, and then they can follow up with their dentist. If it's grossly mobile, you may need to stabilize the tooth. But let's talk about all these injury types, and then we can circle back around to stabilization.
0: So luxation is the partial displacement of the tooth, and this can occur in a variety of ways. The tooth can be displaced into the alveolar bone, and that's called intrusive luxation. The tooth is basically impacted deeper into the bone. So there's little for you to do here because the tooth is pretty stable. Again, it's going to be sort of that emergent follow-up that's needed.
1: Lateral and extrusive luxations will require a little more attention. In extrusive luxation, the tooth is displaced partway out of the socket. So just to review here, intrusive luxation, the tooth moves into the bone, extrusive luxation, the tooth moves out of the bone. Lateral luxation is where the tooth moves in any direction other than those two, not in, not out, some other direction. While intrusive luxation is stable, lateral and extrusive luxations are not. These injuries will require stabilization by you prior to discharge and dental follow-up.
0: When the tooth has come entirely out of the socket, it's called an avulsion. And this is a true dental emergency. And I think this is one of those things that people think as an ED doc, you can handle. So if you're on the basketball court, on the soccer field, and somebody gets a tooth knocked out by a random elbow, someone's going to expect that you can put that back in because you're an emergency physician. So, Jenny, when that happens to you, and, you know, you're from Minnesota, so this is going to be a hockey injury, let's be honest. Right. And, you know... Hockey players is a good place where you really have to assess for how many teeth were there before Before, the injury. But nonetheless, exactly. (laughs) So, but nonetheless, if if you're on the hockey rink and somebody loses a tooth, what are you going to do about it?
1: So, provided we're talking about an adult tooth, you're going to just want to get that tooth reimplanted asap. Primary tooth or children's teeth, no big deal. The child should see a dentist as they may need to make some kind of appliance for their mouth to hold space for the adult tooth tooth to grow in, but replacing a primary tooth can actually interrupt permanent tooth eruption, so it should not be done.
0: For the adult or secondary teeth, though, again, these need to go back in because... There's nothing else coming out after that. How you get that tooth to the hospital is gonna be important. So we wanna to try to put the tooth back in the socket. So if you can do that in the field, that's gonna be the optimal thing, but this is not an easy procedure. It's pretty painful. You're probably gonna to wanna to get some analgesia on board before you do that. So if you can do that in the field, great, but more likely you're gonna to have to transport it in some other medium. So if you can't get it back in the socket, the second best place is to put it in their mouth, put it under the tongue, and that saliva is actually gonna keep the tooth relatively fresh. You can also poke it into a cheek. Now, you don't want to do this on a patient who's a little bit altered or, you know, maybe they've got a lot of blood in their mouth because you don't want them to swallow the tooth. Then you're going to have a whole nother issue to go through. As a last resort, if the patient's not comfortable putting in the mouth that you don't trust they can keep it there, drop it in some whole milk and come to the hospital.
1: And I love that part about putting it in the in the whole milk because you have to have whole milk around. I mean, I guess at the hockey rink, they might have milk for coffee or something and you could just like run to the concession. Hey, I need your milk stat.
0: Yeah, I, and I don't <laughs> think you can use those little creamers. I don't think that that is a substitute.
1: No, actually, I don't think you can even use skim milk. I think it actually has be whole to milk. be full fat milk.
0: Another reason why we should all be drinking whole milk. I hate yeah. skim milk, uh, but that's a separate podcast that we'll get to at another time. <laughs>
1: A milk podcast. A milk podcast. Okay, so when the patient arrives in the ED, you're going to want to get the tooth back in place as soon as possible. There are some commercial tooth hydrating solutions that your institution may have. The tooth should be cleaned in one of these solutions, and if you don't have one of those, saline works in a pinch. Make sure you're handling the tooth by just the crown so that you can avoid damaging the periodontal ligament, which is gonna be important for the tooth to take back into the socket. Any clot within the socket should be aspirated out, and the socket should be irrigated again with that same dental solution. Then the tooth can be replaced and stabilized.
0: All right, so let's say you've got the avulse tooth, you're able to jam it back into the socket, or you've got that luxated tooth and you kinda of bring it back to its normal position. How do you then stabilize it? Now, again, you talked about these commercial products like the periodontal paste, and if you've got that, they have instructions on how to use them. Go ahead and do that. If you don't, it can be a little bit more difficult. And actually, academic life in emergency medicine has a great trick of the trade on using Dermabon and a metal nasal bridge from an N95 respirator to create a temporary dental splint. This is really incredible MacGyvering of what we have in the ED to get it to use for what we need to have done. One of the tricks here is to dry that tooth out so you're going to dry it with a gauze and then you might even want to get some forced air which you can just get off your oxygen port and blow that that tooth completely dry before you try to apply the Dermabond. We'll drop a link to that trick of the trade in the show notes.
1: So the last thing we should touch on are the dental fractures. These are broken down into a classification system that I'm sure Swami you can tell me we're probably going to need to know for our various boards. Oh you're going to definitely have to
0: know it there's going to be at least one question know your Ellis classification.
1: Yeah, the Ellis classification classifies the fractures for emergency doctors, not for dentists, right, Swami? Yeah,
0: they're not interested. They, I have called them and said, I got an Ellis 2 fracture here. And they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, just so you know. Just what does it look like? So uh, this is useful to us, not useful with your consultants. And when I say useful to us, I mean that you're going to have a, an answer on the test that's going to be this. So just know it.
1: Yeah, you're going to need it for the test. So for the test, Ellis one fractures are those through the enamel only. These are pretty minor. If there is a sharp edge that's irritating the patient, you could file it down for them slightly with an emery board, but basically they just need to follow up with a dentist as they see fit. LS2 fractures are those that are through the enamel and the dentin. So here you may see the yellow or pink discoloration of the dentin itself. These can be extremely painful. So you're going to want to cover that broken tooth, preferably with a calcium hydroxide paste, which you might have in your dental box. This will harden and provide an airtight seal over the broken tooth. In a pinch, you could use a clear nail polish to cover the fracture, but I know I'd feel more comfortable using the real stuff. These patients should stick to a soft diet and follow up with a dentist in 24 to 48 hours. LS3 fractures are the worst and these involve the pulp of the tooth. Often you may even be able to see blood within the broken tooth from the pulp. This is an actual dental emergency because it carries a really high risk of pulp necrosis. If you have an on-call dentist, it's worth calling them. If not, you're gonna cover the fracture like you would with an LS2 and then have the patient stick to a liquid diet and see a dentist ASAP.
0: Now, one last thing to remember with all of these injuries, the avulsions and the complicated fractures, is to remember to update the patient's tetanus, and you're going to want to give them some kind of an antibiotic to cover the oral flora. These are prophylactic, so PenVK is going to be just fine, and Clinda can be used in a pen allergic patient. Okay, Jenny, let's hit the take-home points for this one.
1: Okay, so first, for pretty much all dental complaints, good analgesia is crucial, Familiarize yourself with the techniques for blocking just a single tooth or for the slightly more complicated regional blocks as they can really come in handy in the ED. Second, dental infections and complicated dental trauma will require antibiotics to cover oral flora. Amoxicillin clavulanic acid for infection or PENVK for trauma prophylaxis and CLINDA for the pen allergic patient are usually good choices. Third, dental infections range from small, easily drained abscesses to really scary deep space neck infections. If the patient has outward swelling of the neck, trismus, or sublingual fluctuance or tenderness, get worried about a deep space infection and get a CT scan. And last, dental trauma includes the loose tooth, the displaced tooth, the totally evolved tooth, and the broken tooth. For these, stabilization and early follow-up are usually the key familiarize yourself with the products such as the periodontal pastes and the dental cleaning and rehydration solutions that are available to you at your institution so that you can feel like a boss the next time one of these patients shows up in your ED.
0: Excellent. Great take-homes as always. Well, that's all for the Core EM podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net. We've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up this Wednesday and a journal update on Thursday as always. Visit us on Facebook and like us if you like the site. Visit our Google Plus page and follow us on Twitter where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks and see you all next week.